0: Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a blogger on personal finance in New Zealand and on this podcast I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. Now the people I seek out to interview are often uncomfortable talking about money publicly and in most cases they have never talked about their financial setup with anyone and that's why you hear their stories from me and not directly from them so that they can retain their privacy. Uh, You're going to hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are Giving their tips and their points of view on personal finance in New Zealand. And personal finance is indeed deeply personal. So, with that being said, this week I'm going to tell you all about a fabulous 42 year old woman I know called Kate. Now, we met via my blog, thehappysaver.com, when she reached out to me, and that is when I knew that she had an interesting money journey to tell. Now, just quickly before we get started, Pocketsmith wanted me to tell you a little bit about them before I tell you all about Kate. Today's episode is brought to you by a company that I really like to use, Pocketsmith. We all know what a Swiss army knife can do, and Pocketsmith is kind of like that but for personal finance software instead. It equips you with a multitude of the right tools to make all of life's money decisions, and it's New Zealand made. So if you decide to clear that credit card debt faster, which you really, really should, then use the Pocketsmith Budgets feature to help track your income and expenses and stay on track with your repayments. If you would like to try Pocketsmith, go to thehappysaver.com forward slash Pocketsmith and get 50% off the first two months on a monthly premium subscription. Pocketsmith, clever budgeting software that lets you see your financial past, present and future. Kate was born and raised in Britain but had a wanderlust from her late teens She always knew that she wanted to travel and get out and see a bit of the world. And her upbringing was, in her words, conventional. Her parents owned a house with a mortgage. Uh, To them it was important to own a house and not to rent. And it was important also that both children had their own room with a quiet place to study. Now her dad went out to work and her mum looked after her and her sibling. They were fairly comfortable and she recalled that they would spend money only on the things that they really valued and appreciated and generally these were not possessions but instead say an inexpensive family holiday once or twice a year somewhere close to the UK spending time together as a family. Now her parents were not Friday night down the pub parents but instead a cup of tea at home parents and she describes them uh, as a family of introverts. The use of money was a topic of conversation that appeared to be part of their lives and it was something that was discussed if and when it was appropriate. She had her own savings account from a very early age, uh, but there were no rules around its use. But there was an expectation that if, for example, she received birthday money, then some of that would go into her savings. She recalls being about six or seven when her mum was telling her how bank accounts work and how they charge you interest and how you can earn interest. And I recall having the same conversation with my own daughter at that age and she was incredulous about it. The fact that a bank would charge you extra if you use their money. So I wonder if that same conversation will stick in my own daughter's memory as much as it has stuck with Kate. Kate remembers her brother asking for something once and her parents saying that he could not have it because there was no money left this week. Well, he said, just go and get some more from the bank. And they sat down and they took the time to explain that they do have money, but they choose not to spend any more this week because they have a budget which tells them what they can spend. And this and many maths conversations while shopping at the supermarket, which is part of daily life and it strikes me as a really excellent foundation into understanding personal finance. Kate did really well at school and then she transitioned into university where she studied maths. And at the end of her honours degree and at the young age of 21, she didn't feel ready to go to work just yet. So she began an OE around Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, and then home to the UK via the States. Now, her intention was to live cheaply, take about six months to a year to have a good look around, and then return home and settle down and live, quote, a normal life. But she didn't factor into her plan falling in love with New Zealand. She said when she came here that very first time, it just felt like home, just a place that she felt she needed to be. And she said New Zealand agreed with her. So back in Britain, she decided to make plans to come back to New Zealand in a much more permanent way. But first, she needed to work because after finishing her travel, she had zero dollars left. She needed to gain some experience in the workplace. And of course, she needed to save up cash. So she began a career in the travel industry, which required that she had both a degree and travel experience, which she had both of. So it was a perfect fit for her and she stuck at it. And during that time in that industry, she was able to learn a whole lot more about New Zealand. So finally, at the age of 27, she flew back to Christchurch, New Zealand with a visa to work here, a decent cash buffer to easily support herself for a couple of months if she could not find work, and a feeling of great excitement because she could finally stay a while and really experience the place. Because she said, it's one thing to visit a country in the summertime, but quite another thing to settle here and have to haul yourself off to work on a cold and wet rainy weekday morning. At the very first interview she went to, she got offered a job once again in the travel industry but earning 50% less than back home in the UK. She was earning just 50 cents above the minimum wage. And reflecting back on that day, she knew that it was a pivotal moment and a turning point in her life and she remembers that on that day she took a moment to actually appreciate that fact because now that she had a job, she could now work towards getting residency here and somewhere down the track, this could lead to citizenship. She worked this job for two years, doubling her income to about $50,000 by taking on any extra hours and commission that was offered, and when extra money did start to come in, she saved it instead of spending it, and she continued to live on the same low budget she'd set herself when she arrived. But after two years, she felt that she was settled enough to try and get a different job or a better job, whereas her UK job offered a lot of travel opportunities. That was not the case here in New Zealand, so she was keen to see what else was on offer. And she actually thinks it's a blessing to be forced to live on a low budget for a while because she thinks it adjusts your expectations. And then when the money you earn increases, you can more easily just direct that money into debt, into savings or into investments. And this is um, a thought that I've heard a number of times from people who've done quite well with money. And it was while living on this low budget, I don't think she ever referred to it as tight, just low, uh, that she began to save up for a house deposit and also to cover the costs associated with gaining residency in New Zealand. She reflected that it would be very easy to spend money without thinking about it and she wonders if sometimes she is a bit ahead of the curve as she's very conscious of money and how she needed to make it work for her. Plus she was also aware that as a single woman the buck stopped with her. She needed to rely on herself and she needed to make the right choices every day so that she could live a good life. And on being single she said it works to her advantage because she can make choices and decisions for herself. Very early on she'd made the, the decision or the choice to save up enough deposits so that she could purchase her own home and because she got work as soon as she arrived in New Zealand she didn't have to use those savings that she'd brought with her so she just kept adding to that pot and this was to form the basis of her house deposit. After a year of being here she really knuckled down and began to save very hard to build up as big a deposit as she possibly could. And because she was an immigrant, she was expecting the bank to give her a really hard time and she expected them to demand a lot more from her than they would have a citizen and her math degree came to the fore here, and she had created some spreadsheets showing all her spending history from the previous two years. She had calculated different scenarios, showing different interest rates, had calculated her insurance and her rates payments, for example, and she did this to show the bank and herself that she could see that her incomings would easily cover her outgoings, and that she could handle a mortgage even if the rates went up a lot higher. But (laughs) welcome to New Zealand, to her surprise, the bank just said, well, that's fine. And they didn't even care about her spreadsheets, which was a bit of a bummer after all that hard work. So in the end, she saved close to $40,000 as her deposit and she found a house in a lower socioeconomic area of Christchurch that was well below the medium house value at that time. In 2007, she paid $220,000 and she borrowed $180,000 with an 8.2% interest rate. She was 30 years old and she signed up to a 30-year mortgage and a fixed interest rate for the first three years. She had a fortnightly payment of $708.10 and she knew that she was going to pay it off sooner than these 30 long, long years. But this initial three years gave her a really steady start of knowing what her payments would be and when. And it just gave her time to settle into having a mortgage and having some money left over to make improvements and repairs to the property. She recalled that in the first three years when her mortgage was fixed at 8.2%, the floating rate actually went up over 10%. So she was really uh, spot on to plan these different interest rate scenarios when she was doing her due diligence before buying the house. Obviously that floating rate didn't apply to her because she was fixed, but it still gave her an idea of different situations. Now during this period she received a small $5,000 inheritance all of which she put on her mortgage and this single payment cut three years off the length of her 30-year mortgage and she was amazed at just how much impact an overpayment can make in the early years of a mortgage when so much of that fortnightly payment is going towards interest with only a handful of dollars carving off the principal each fortnight. Now the bank however offered to lower her fortnightly payments in response to this $5,000 overpayment in an effort to claw back Some of that money back, and she, of course, declined this very kind offer from her bank. And yes, I am being facetious. Now, after that initial three year period, she put another small lump sum that she had saved separately onto her mortgage to reduce the balance further, and then she fixed it for another two years, locking it in at a lower interest rate. But she continued with her fortnightly $710 payment. And once again, the bank said, Why do you want to do that? And they gave her the opportunity to lower her payments, which she said no to. Once that term ended, she split her mortgage into two accounts. One involved fortnightly payments on a fixed interest mortgage, and she still stuck to payments of 710 per fortnight, and the other involved siphoning off spare money into an offset account, and the latter started off at $40,000 and was fully paid off by the end of those three years. She loved how she could do this without penalty and without pressure. Now, by this stage, she was being really disciplined with herself, while also covering her ass for emergencies and changes of circumstance. She carried on with this approach until she reached the end. Now just a little bit about the house itself. She purposefully looked for a house in a lower socioeconomic area because it would be cheaper in the first place which would mean less interest to pay, lower council rates and would likely have really good bus links as well. She doesn't have a car so has eliminated those costs and if she needs a car she simply hires one. Because she lives in a cheaper area she has lower doctor's fees, lower costs in the local shops and just a bunch of things that are cheaper as a result of living there. She purchased a small two bedroom house which was just 90 square metres so it needs less furniture and uses smaller amounts of services like electricity and water and in hindsight she says this house is actually too big for her but she loves it and she's not going anywhere. In the early days she did consider getting a flatmate because that would be a way to halve her outgoings but Kate says that she's a very private person who is actually a deep introvert who really loves having her own space and she decided that she was really willing to forego buying that bottle of wine or the odd luxury that, so that she could instead buy herself privacy and her own personal space. Now hearing this about her makes it all the more remarkable that she agreed to share her journey with you and I. Soon after purchasing the house, she changed jobs, spending a year trying out different roles before securing a much better job for a government department on a much better pay rate. And once again, she did not inflate her lifestyle, but instead pushed this extra money into her mortgage and her emergency fund savings. And then finally, 10 years later, at the age of 40, the day arrived where she was to make her last payment, and her house would finally be all hers. She found out the exact amount of that last payment and made the symbolic gesture of getting it out of the bank in cash. She took a photo of the final payment for posterity and then she went into the bank and at the counter she handed over her notes and coins, $674.50, and she said, I want to buy my house, please. She wanted this to be memorable. But the teller ruined the moment a bit when they said, well, we have to put that money back into your account and transfer it across your mortgage. It was kind of a letdown. And as a tip to banks, she said they really should have nets of balloons they release for moments just like these. A bit of fanfare wouldn't go astray. Now, I just wanted to go back to a quick point that I just mentioned. The fact that she quit her job soon after getting a mortgage She was done with the travel industry and it was time for a change and this is the important bit. She had put away some additional savings of $10,000 to be used to fix the roof or make repairs as an emergency fund, if you like, for times like this. So quitting a job she was no longer enjoying She felt warranted to use this fund. She could quit with a cushion to land on, but she secured work very easily and spent a year trying some things out uh, and never really used this fund because she actually picked up other jobs pretty quickly. But having that buffer there just gave her the courage to try something new. Now, she retains it to this day, and I think it's a point worth noting down for others taking on debt. Don't let it shackle you into a job you don't like. Make other arrangements or an escape plan if you like. This year of work exploration led her into her current role at a government organisation which she has slowly climbed up the ranks of and today she remains in the same house very happily so. Now it has made its way through every single earthquake that Christchurch has suffered through. In fact she said that the experience of the earthquakes over so many years has solidified her love for her little house, uh, her neighbours and her neighbourhood which is extremely settled and very supportive. People stay in their houses for a long time. Some neighbours have known each other for 60 years. And like most, myself included, the Christchurch earthquake insurance claim process was bad. It was long and it was stressful as an experience with much mishandling and bungling of claims. And in the end, she probably ended up about $10,000 out of pocket, a hit which she is certainly young enough to recover from. Kate said that in many ways the earthquake could not have happened at a better time. If she was younger she may not have had the mental capacity to cope emotionally and if she was older she may not have been able to cope with the uncertainty of the repair process. Compared to many living in the eastern suburbs she feels really lucky. For example Johnny and I we actually lost our home entirely. The value of her house has dropped but she has no intention of moving and the price of your house actually only matters if you are wanting to sell which she certainly is not. Now, when Kate and I spoke in late February of this year, 2019, the 8th anniversary of the February earthquake that tragically killed 185 people, uh, it had just passed, and personally I find this to be quite an emotional date, but Kate shared with me how she processes this and a new habit that she has created to mark that date. Since 2012, she has made the 22nd of February her main charitable giving day. And it just gives me goosebumps to talk about this, actually. Um, She donates ad hoc throughout the year, but on this date in particular, she chooses three or four charities and donates multiples of $185 to each of them. And this is her way of stepping back from the EQC cursing and wondering if the roads will ever get fixed. And instead, she is trying to add some meaning to the date. And it makes the day no less sad, but it does make her stop and concentrate on the things in life which are really important. And her intention is to keep this beautiful charitable act for life. This housing experience is what has made her very reluctant to deal in rental properties, as all she can foresee is a massive amount of hassle when something goes wrong, and she does wonder to herself about the New Zealand obsession with owning rental property. Now you may be wondering how she celebrated paying off her own house, Discharging the mortgage, once again, going against uh, the bank's advice here, and turning her back on debt. Well, Kate will always save the pennies and let the pounds save themselves. For example, she uses her local library, but if it does not have the book she wants, she will happily cycle across town to collect it from another library and save herself the $3 fee. But she will happily spend $5,000 to go and run the Boston Marathon to celebrate her new debt free status. And that is exactly what she did. A bit of history for you here, in 1967 Catherine Switzer was the first woman to enter the Boston Marathon with an official race number. It had been an all-male event for 70 long years. She entered by using the initials of her name, KV Switzer, and it was not until she was running that others realised that for the first time a woman was actually in the race. Now although most competitors were excited to see her in the race, the race director was not, and he attacked her and tried to get her off the course. Well, she continued to run and she was determined to finish that race for every woman who wanted to run it and finish it she did for herself and for every woman to come after her. Now, 2017 marked the 50th anniversary of that historic day and Kate chose to run it because she sees Catherine as a strong, inspiring woman and Kate wanted to run in her footsteps. Catherine Switzer herself and 32,000 other runners also ran the race that day and after it Kate was lucky enough to meet her, shake her hand and say thank you for everything she had done for women's running and she made it easier for those who came after her and Kate thinks how lucky she is to be able to be born now and that as a woman she can do whatever she wants. By saving her pennies the pounds had saved themselves and that made it easier for Kate to create the experiences in her own life that meant something to her. And I think that this is some kind of awesome and I hope you do too. Now to backtrack a bit, Kate didn't just put a buffer of money aside in an emergency fund and also she didn't just pay down debt. She also started investing for her future and for her retirement, something she is planning on doing before the age of 50. She did not join KiwiSaver from the very beginning. She simply felt that she could not spare the 3% when she was in her very first job here in New Zealand. However, in retrospect, for the small amount of money involved, she should have tried a bit harder to make that work and she encourages you to do that now if you find yourself in this position. She did receive the $1,000 kickstart which was on offer then and no longer is sadly and in truth she did only miss out on a couple of years of employer and government contributions but as time went on she began to realise that starting early is the absolute key. So debt repayment, having an emergency fund and having KiwiSaver were the three things and the only three things that she concentrated on until her mortgage was paid off and she stuck to these three elements only and that shows her focus and her discipline. I know that many people get sidetracked by so many other shiny new things and that leads them astray, particularly once they start to dabble in investing. So take it from Kate, stick to your knitting, do those three things well and once that debt is cleared, well you can invest all you like. She has been thinking about personal finance and thinking about the advantage that understanding math and numbers has given her. For her, it's logical and it's easy, but to others, it can be scary. But she would just encourage you and I to personalise the math involved and that then gives you those numbers meaning and then you begin to find it interesting and you can focus and you can move forward. It makes all the money stuff less scary when you understand the numbers behind each decision you make. For kids, it's a building block subject, math, and if you don't get it at the beginning, it's really easy to fall behind. So she would encourage you to help your kids so that this doesn't happen. And it makes dealing with the money stuff later in life much less scary. So what now for Kate? Well, it's only been two and a half years since Kate became debt free. So she's in the early stages and moving towards financial independence. But she said that investing after paying off a mortgage is like having a tailwind after working into a headwind for the last 10 years. Now instead of paying interest, she is finally in the position to earn it. And those mortgage payments are now, yes, all now automatically directed into saving an investment accounts. She gave herself a very generous spending, um, spending money pay rise of wait for it, $20 per week, but otherwise it's just business as usual. She no longer tracks her spending so closely, but she's obviously got a very good overall awareness of where her money is coming from and going to. Learning where to invest was a challenge, and once the money started to build up, she read a lot of books and blogs and listened to a lot of podcasts and came to the conclusion that she needed to create a diversified share portfolio. They all said buy index funds, but no one told her where to buy them. She just did not know where to go to make it happen and she came to a bit of a dead end. She knew what she needed to do but just could not work out where the share shops were. It was like finding a miracle cure but not being able to find the doctor who could administer it to you and she found it really, really tough. But then, and honest to God, I didn't set this up, Uh, she came across my own blog um, and a post called How to Buy Shares in 27 Minutes and boom, there you go, Kate was off. Now this didn't stop her googling the heck out of Ruth from Alexandra, that's me, uh, with a dog she likes to go running with. She apparently really scoped me out and satisfied herself that this was not a scam, that SmartShares was the real deal, not a dummy site I had laboriously created and she climbed on board and started investing. And ever since her money has been pouring into my own bank account, no I'm just kidding, Um, now she has a direct debit to smart shares each and every month. She invests in the New Zealand Top 50 called the FNZ Fund because that supports New Zealand companies and also the New Zealand economy and she also invests into the US 500 Fund. Her KiwiSaver, and you will notice a common thread with people I seem to interview, is with Simplicity Growth, and she also has an additional Simplicity Growth fund, which is outside of KiwiSaver, and that's got $15,000 parked in it. She apparently parked that money there while she worked out if the HappySaver and Smart were legitimate, and it's uh, stayed put ever since. She is sticking with this setup until she builds up her buckets to have about $100,000 in each Smart fund then she may consider diversifying some more. She is still suspicious of not keeping too much with one provider, but she is also mindful not to spread it around and waste too much on fees. She is now in a salary band of between ninety dollars and $120,000. Uh, she was happy to answer every question I fired at her, but I had to settle for a range here. And get this, she is saving 67% of her salary, and that is pretty awesome. One of the key things I find when I talk to people when you're thinking of pushing for financial independence is savings rate is super important and getting that as high as you possibly can is critical to getting that nest egg put aside for retirement. Now her salary has climbed over the years but she did feel underpaid for the work she was doing and her performance review confirmed that she was doing an outstanding job. So she thought she would use that as leverage to try to negotiate a higher salary. Now, it is not in a quiet person's nature to push for this, but she went out on a limb and asked for a pay review, after which her manager returned and offered her a number that was more than what she would have asked for. So once again, Kate wants to encourage you to put your nerves aside and ask directly for what you think you are worth and keep pushing until you are satisfied. She expects to fire at 50, which is uh, retire. And she has a number in mind which is 25 times her current expenses plus several thousand dollars extra as a buffer. Now this calculation is one of the best tools I know of to work out how much cash you need to have in order to retire. But you can only work it out if you track your spending. So if, for example, you need $50,000 a year to live, then if you times that by 25, you need $1.25 invested to retire. And of course, this does not take into account that when you reach 65 or so, you will receive government superannuation of seven to $800 a fortnight. That really reduces the amount that you will need to have invested. Kate said what I also believe, you need less than what society would have you believe you need to retire. When she hits her magic number she fully expects an argument with herself over is that enough uh, she, and she can also see that it's going to be hard to push the button on quitting work or cutting back but she'll solve that puzzle when she gets to it. Now for her retirement before the age of 15 may come under several guises. She really loves her job uh, that she is doing right now so retirement may mean not working, it might mean working less or it might mean volunteering. She has worked out at the age of 42, though, that time is her most important thing. Being able to dictate what she does with her own time and being able to arrange her day however she wants is what she's aiming for. So it may not be retirement in the traditional sense of the word. It's more likely to just be financially free and deciding for herself where she allocates her time. But one thing will be certain, her decisions won't be motivated by money. By owning her own home, having no consumer debt, and having a lower rate of essential spending, she has peace in mind that if she gets sick, or she can't work for whatever reason, or she loses her job, or everything can still be covered because her spending is really low, and uh, it can easily be covered, and there is real power in knowing that. Debt always weighed very heavily on her mind, so she did what was right for her, and she eliminated that worry, and she said that that approach may not be the best of all, but it's certainly the best for her. And a few takeaways for you to apply to your own life that have worked really well for Kate are these separate your wants from your needs and always spend less than you earn. Pay down debt. She said, pay yourself first. uh, Join KiwiSaver from your first job and stay in it. She thinks of investing as paying future Kate first. Now get into the habit of always saving some of your money. Decide what's important to you and assign money to that. Then you can ignore what is important to other people. She said, plan ahead but be flexible. She could never have predicted the chaos that the earthquakes would inflict on her life, but she rolled with it literally all those rolling earthquakes. Um, She sees lots of friends buying a house and then buying a house full of new furniture and getting everything looking lovely in the first few weeks. She likes to build things up more slowly and this might include secondhand things and even things she found on the side of the road when people display things for free or finding that perfect new sofa but waiting six months for their 30% off sale to roll around as she knows it inevitably will. She said if mortgage interest rates go down, keep on paying the same amount and if rates go up, increase your payments and if you get a windfall, put it on the mortgage. She said automate as much as you can and review it once a year. It's a bit like checking your civil defence kit. And as for travel, she spent her early 20s travelling and does not regret a second of it and when you start young, you are far happier to do it really cheaply. And she said pick a job that you enjoy rather than one that you think will earn you a lot. And what books or blogs does Kate recommend? So even after all this time, she still finds a lot of value in my site, The Happy Saver, which is very kind of her to say. She likes uh, a site called Frugal Woods and Mr Money Mustache. And she said that it's nice to feel part of the frugal community and not feel completely freakish. Askamanager.org is a website she really liked because it talks about how well you do at work and how it can translate to how much money you earn at work. And that translates to what you put in your pocket. Now, the Guilty Feminist podcast by our British comedian talks about different uh, themes each week and it makes her think about pay negotiations, confidence at work and investing, for example. And as for books, Mary Holm, she likes her get-rich-slow attitude because it is so New Zealand-specific. She likes that she's Just pretty conservative and she's not shouting at you. (laughs) I can't imagine Mary ever shouting, actually. She's awesome. Uh, She likes some aspects of Sue Zorman, but her perception of her changed after hearing her interview by Paula Pant from Afford Anything uh, back in 2018, where Sue's basically ranted about the fire community. And I always like to ask this question. If uh, Kate was given $10,000 right now, what would she do with it? Well, Kate had three answers for me. What she would want to do with it would be to fly business class on her next trip to Europe. What she would recommend she did with it, she would take $200 and go out for dinner with mates and then invest the rest. But what she would actually do is invest the whole lot. She would top up her smart shares and also put some in her Simplicity Growth non Saver fund. I asked Kate what she thinks her biggest financial triumph has been to date and this got her thinking and she decided that from a relatively young age, about 10 years old, it was knowing what was important for her, not bowing down to what was important to other people. And financially speaking, it now means she does not need a fancy phone or even a car and she gets to choose how she spends her own money and she spends it on what is important to her. She is frugal but she never goes without what is important to her. And how about her greatest financial flop? Well, she said she should have got wise to the idea of negotiating a higher salary sooner. And what is the most extravagant thing she's purchased for herself in the last 90 days? Well, she bought a $219 running jacket for a run that she was competing in. Uh, Having a particularly good jacket was part of the essential gear list, but when she was buying it, she asked for a 10% discount at the counter and she was given it. And on the day of the race, it was glorious (laughs) and the jacket was not required, but... Had it have been, she would have been toasty and dry and I'm sure that this jacket will be used in the years to come. I was interested to know has she had the opportunity to mentor anyone or talk about money with anyone else and unfortunately that's a no. There has been the odd sneak peek into the lives of friends when an interest in personal finance was brought up, but she is still waiting to pick that conversation up again. And at work, when people are applying for roles or jobs, she will offer them a hand up when it feels appropriate and offers to help with the recruitment process and encourage them to discuss salary, for example. But by and large, her workplace does not talk about money, which, as you know, I think is a great shame. Now, before I wrap up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor. They help me bring you this podcast for free, which is the exact amount of money Kate is prepared to spend when she borrows a book from the local library. A big thank you to Pocketsmith for helping me bring this episode to you today. I use Pocketsmith to help me make great money decisions and keep track of my personal finances and you can too by going to thehappysaver.com forward slash Pocketsmith to get 50% off the first two months on a monthly premium subscription. Pocketsmith, clever budgeting software that lets you see your financial past, present and future. And I wanted to end with a huge thank you to Kate for sharing her journey. She was a little amazed that I thought her particular story would be worth writing a podcast about, and that once we finished our interview, I could decide for myself whether it had been worth it or not. Well, Kate, I think it was 110% worth it. And from all the emails I receive, I know that other people hearing this, they want to know those actual details and the numbers showing what other people are doing with their money. Now, often this podcast is providing the only insights into how others deal with money because no one appears to want to openly talk about it in New Zealand. So thanks for sharing so openly. And I'm ending with an email I received from Kate after we had spoken. And she said, in the past, I've always seen financial sacrifices today as a gift for future me, and I've been quite happy to make them. But after talking to you, I realise how much of a gift current me gets from the peace of mind of good financial planning. I love knowing that if X happens, with X being an earthquake or a job loss or whatever, then I've got it covered, at least from a financial point of view. So a win for future me and for current me. And finally, she finished by saying, I know a lot of people live with high debt. I know that's simply normality for so many, but it would keep me up at night. And that's just too high a price to pay for me. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I release a new episode. Now, if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could give me a five-star rating and a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And also share it with your friends. These are the best ways that people can learn about the podcast and I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.